Pope St. John Paul II said that discovering Christ always again and always more fully is the most wonderful adventure of our life. Blazing the Trail is a weekly conversation where we talk about this adventure with courage and hope while sharing stories about what the Holy Spirit is doing in Western Oregon and beyond. Welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio and the Archdiocese of Portland's podcast channel. My name is Miriam Marston, and as always, it is such a joy to be with you each week as we continue to explore together the Church's mission to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. My guest this week is Paul McCusker, who is a storyteller by trade, but also has a story of his own, which he'll share with us on this episode. Now, on this theme of storytelling, I've told a lot of bedtime stories to my nieces and nephews through the years, and I've learned that there's a kind of a special method behind bedtime stories. It's tough because I want to tell a really nice story, but I can't make it too interesting or engaging or use too many funny voices, or that will prompt the kids to want to jump in with their own ideas. They'll stop me and say, wait, hold on, I've got a better idea or a better name for that character. And I'll say to them, shh, just be still and listen to the story. So over time, I've learned that describing a very long shopping list for Bella the Butterfly or detailing each building and landmark that Tommy the Toad walks past when he goes to the magic forest, that helps to settle things down. It's just the right amount of monotony while still being a little creative, all in hopes of gently lulling them to sleep. Ideally, my voice should fade into the background as they doze off, making me sound a little like an airline pilot talking about what's on the menu during the flight. But there's also an analogy here for what we try to do with the story of our own lives. God is writing an extraordinary story in our world, and so often we want to jump in and say, Ooh, hold on, God, I've got a better idea for this chapter. Forgetting that God is really the one in charge of things. Um, I'm fairly certain I've shared this quote before, but it's one of my favorites regarding trusting God, and it's from the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception who write, Trust means that we agree to let God be God, instead of trying to be God ourselves. It means that we agree that God can write the script of our lives, instead of insisting on our own script. It means that we agree with the great pledge we make in the Our Father— your will, not mine, be done on earth as it is in heaven. I just love that line. Let's agree that God can write the script of our lives instead of insisting on our own script. That takes nothing away from our freedom. It simply gives God the space to work freely within us so that His will is done and His story of salvation unfolds. So, Please enjoy my interview with Paul as he shares about his work and a bit of his own story, which he describes in part as a providential conspiracy. Joining me on the show today is Paul McCusker, who is the Senior Director of Creative Content for the Augustine Institute. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Paul, how are you today? I'm doing all right. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Paul, if you could, please walk us through a bit of your own story. And in particular, we'd love to hear your own experience of evangelization. So who shared the faith with you? Uh, where did you first encounter Christ or hear about the message of the gospel? What did that all look like? Well, it's it's interesting. I, I grew up um, in an evangelical Protestant world um, that was... Um, 
kind of loose at first. Uh, I just want to say my mom made sure we went to church, but we went to a variety of churches. We've seen mm-hmm. we would go through a period of uh, we were Methodist and then we were in a Presbyterian church. I think I was baptized in a Presbyterian church and then um, settled on Baptist um, as I was growing up. And it was through Baptist. I mean, the Baptist church is wonderful at proclaiming the gospel, relationship with Jesus Christ, emphasis on scripture, emphasis on evangelization. And my formative years were spent in that, um, uh, to use the the phrasing that they would use. I accepted Christ um, when I was, uh, I mean, as as a reality for me, I accepted Christ when I was probably 10 or 11 years old. Um, I think I was in I, I was in middle school when I actually came across a, another Christian who was really evangelistic, passing out tracts and carried his Bible to school. This was in junior high. And I, I remember thinking, uh, everybody thinks he's so weird. And, you know, he's given Christianity a bad name. I think maybe I, I presumed to sit him down one day because I thought we were friends and say, you know, you ought to back off. All this stuff is for church. I mean, we get all this in church. That's why we go to church in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And um, and he very kindly kind of said, well, he just, of course, had his Bible. And he opened it up and said, no, I mean, if, if you're serious about your Christianity, then you're meant to be sharing it. And, you know, it wasn't an immediate epiphany. It wasn't like a, a lightning strike that suddenly, I'm, okay, my life has changed. But honestly, over the last... Uh, over the next few months, I did. I became what was at the time a Jesus freak. I mean, I got and and it was all the way through uh, high school into college. I mean, it was the church and particularly my church. I, I grew up in an area called Bowie, Maryland, which is outside of D.C. Yeah. And um, it was pivotal to me. That was my center point, my my foundation for everything. And um, so I could say that a lot of what I knew and understood about the faith came during those years. And then to kind of leapfrog through circumstances took me to Southern California from Maryland. And the upheaval of that, um, I, I suddenly very, very quickly realized the churches out there were very different from my church. And that even my assumptions about what Christians believed, you know, um, was different. And so for a few years, and including the time when I got married while, while I was out in California, it was a bit of a, a non-denominational no man's land for me. It, it yeah. just wasn't fixed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I didn't always feel at home. I believed, I mean, we had core beliefs that we shared, but this was during what was at the time called kind of the Willow Creek um, a seeker-sensitive movement. The church was doing everything it could to be unlike a church to try to get people to come in. Uh, and this is not the Catholic church. This is all the evangelical world. And um, I wound up, I was disenfranchised and I didn't realize to what degree I, I, I wouldn't have used the word, but right. transcendent is what was coming back to me. I kept thinking these churches are like spiritual 7-Elevens. They're sort of, they're all consumer-based. It's like, what, what's the latest marketing to get people to come in? And I found that distressing. I kept thinking the church is 2,000 years old. It ought to be, I don't know, it ought to be more timeless than this. This all seems so trendy. And so circumstance, my wife is English, and circumstances took us to England. And 
It was there that I discovered uh, a high Anglican church. High Anglican is bells and smells, sort of, and very Catholic. It's sort of Catholicism without the Pope. Uh, that's going back to Henry VIII. And uh, to my amazing surprise, I went in and I went, this is what I've been looking for. I never would have imagined it, but it's what I was looking for. So leapfrogging then 15 years later, there were circumstances in uh, the Episcopal Church, we had moved back to America, that were troubling enough that it raised the question for me, um, who has the authority to interpret scripture and establish doctrine? Because the issue wasn't about scripture, it was about interpretation of scripture. And that sent me on a journey that then ultimately took me to the answer, which for me was apostolic authority. Mm. The authority was placed upon the apostles. And then it was, well, where is that now? And it was either in the Eastern Orthodox Church or the Catholic Church. And I found, um, I found it all more compelling and drawn more towards the Roman Catholic Church. So I was received into the church 13 years ago then. Wonderful. And where did that happen, Paul? In the that was here in Colorado Springs. Um, and it was, again, the journey was a three, four year journey, but it was a providential conspiracy because I wound up, um, as I'm looking, I'm now bumping into people who've become Catholic in an, un, I mean, unlikely. Uh, Dan Burke is a dear friend of mine and he he had become Catholic right before that. So yeah. he was there. And then I met some priests that I just wanted to talk to and have conversations with about what do you believe and why you believe it? Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and they were hugely influential. So ultimately uh, it all kind of uh, coalesced into not if I become Catholic, but when, and then circumstances again prevailed that nudged me in the direction. It's it's kind of like uh, John Henry Newman says, there's, there are a million reasons to become Catholic, but usually one catalyst. And there was this catalyst that then made it clear that that's what I needed to do. Love it. I love hearing those stories of nudges, of catalyst, of, of divine providence. And I go back to that point early on where someone, it sounded like they called you out on it, that to to take that next step that part of the Christian life was precisely to talk about it, to, to share it with others, to get more engaged. And it sounds like had that moment not happened early on, it, it might've looked a little bit different. Well, I'm not entirely sure where I would have wound up yeah. because uh, concurrent with all this from a very young age, I, I was always interested in writing. I was always mm -hmm. writing and drawing and doing things. And in the years since, my faith and my creative efforts have been completely inextricably bound together. There's, there, I have tried to write stories that had nothing to do with my faith, and I just, I can't do it. Yeah. Um, I, basically, it informs, even when I'm writing something that some people might call um, secular or whatever, um, there's an infusion of the faith into that. And so the journey is is actually also shows up in my writing to some degree, not not overtly because I tend not to do autobiographical writing. It's all about stories and characters and things like that. But for me, uh, they're all intertwined. So to even ask that question, I have no clue who or what I would be now right. if if there weren't people in my life. And it wasn't just this one person. There are people at Grace Baptist Church at the time that. 
I, I love still and who are um, were huge influences on my formation. And, it, and at every stage that proved to be true, even as I moved on kind of the next thing. So, uh, yeah, I have no clue who I would be if those people hadn't invested themselves in my life the way they did. For those just uh, tuning in, I'm speaking with uh, Paul McCusker, who is the Senior Director of Creative Content for the Augustan Institute. And let's talk about uh, what's what's been coming alongside that spiritual journey, or rather not alongside or parallel, but rather intertwined and woven into, as you said, uh, what were some of the um, the stories that influenced you? What would you like to communicate and share through your own creative storytelling these days? Could you share a bit about that, Paul? Well, yeah, I think it's it's interesting because I, I my Baptist church was very arts-minded, which mm-hmm. surprises some people, but it was very arts-minded and it gave me every opportunity to begin to write dramas. I would start off with short sketches and then I was writing one-act plays and full-length plays and we were able to perform them. And I was kind of honing the craft and then as circumstances took me, as I said, to Southern California, I wound up working with organizations. And again, I was writing. I was writing dramas. I was writing things for them in that realm. And at the heart of it, for me, after all these years, you'd think I'd have a concise phrase for it. But it's, it's, it's a desire to communicate the faith in a meaningful way through story. And that doesn't mean being preachy. It doesn't mean necessarily always have a call to action, you know, where's the Billy Graham moment at the end where people come forward to accept Jesus. But to have writing that, like any art form, is infused enough with its faith that it is speaking to things without necessarily preaching about them. It's the difference between proclamation and exploration. Hmm. You know, Jesus proclaimed the truth overtly, but it's really interesting because then when he went into his storytelling mode, when he did the parables, he actually seemed to be exploring an idea. And by that, I mean, he knew what he was talking about, but he left room for the audience to explore it. So when he tells the prodigal son, he doesn't spell it out. He says, I'm going to tell you, a man man had, once upon a time, a man had two sons. And one day this son comes and he tells the story. And it leaves room for exploration. It leaves room for the audience to work through what are the themes, what's going on here with these characters. And if it's a compelling story with its plot and the way it's it's written, it draws them into the reality and sometimes another reality. C.S. Lewis did it with um, Chronicles of Narnia. Mm -hmm. The number of people, uh, because when I was at Focus on the Family, we did the all the, uh, an audio dramatization of the entire set, all seven books, hundreds of British actors in these things. And the number of stories we heard from people who had read the books and listened to the dramas who said, I became a Christian years later. I, I, you know, I engaged with this when I was a kid. Years later, I became a Christian because Lewis basically showed me there was more to the world than this world. There's more to life than this life. It's bigger than I realize. And story does that. It opens the imagination. It allows for people uh, to think through ideas that they might not think through if you kind of hit them with a proclamation. You know, you say X and they're immediately saying, well, I I accept that or I don't. And they're either accepting or rejecting. But with a story like Lord of the Rings, you get into Narnia, you get into an amazing number of stories, even secular stories. They're exploring ideas and people engage in that. And suddenly they begin to think differently. 
it works in the mind and the heart in a different way than, than a proclamation of truth. And that to me has been a passion. It's been, and I've spent most of my life now trying to figure it out. I can't even tell you there's, there's a formula. Right. You know, I'm trying to figure out from generation to generation, from audience to audience, whether it's seven-year-olds or 12-year-olds or 10 or grown-ups or whoever they are, how can I write stories that will make a, a greater eternal truth more meaningful to them? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, without feeling like I'm preaching to them or doing a commercial for Christ kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's a long-winded way of saying that's kind of what my writing life has been at every stage, whether from Baptist all the way through to my life as a Catholic now. Love it. And uh, I, I, that theme of exploration, I, I hadn't heard it explained that way, not that they're set up against each other, but they're two different modes here of proclamation and right. exploration. And I think of uh, those last pages, really, of The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis, where yes you hear over and over again, further up and further in. And I just feel Mm. like that's good storytelling uh, has that refrain of um, going further up and further into something that's far bigger than what we could have imagined. So it just never, it never ends. And it's Uh, a great mystery, you know, and people love mysteries. Uh, It's a great mystery of going further up and further in, into this mystery that ultimately is beyond our ability to describe it. But there are so many ways we can nudge in that direction. We kind of gesture in that direction. You don't push people to it. You don't drag them to it. You just create the means by which the Holy Spirit can work through the art form to to tease a bit, to tease and draw them in and say, there are some things maybe you ought to consider here that you haven't considered before about your life, the meaning of life, where what happens after you die. The big questions are often caught up in the smallest stories, no matter how simple they seem to be. So, Paul, what do you think, you know, we can receive quite well proclamation in settings of church and and perhaps small sure. group ministry and everything what do you think it is that we don't receive it so well in storytelling in art in movies um, what is it that in us that resist kind of that proclamation in these other modes i'm just kind of curious well i think what happens if if you have a story that and because i've often have worked on the question yeah. is story a good evangelistic tool and the answer to me is that it can be that, but if you set out to make it that, usually you're undoing the very thing that you're trying to do. So an example I've often used is I, I live in, in Colorado Springs. Pikes Peak is just, I mean, within view of my house. It's beautiful. And and the Bible talks about you know, beauty and nature speaks to the glory of God. It proclaims in its own way. It's another form of revelation, mm-hmm. even at the risk that some people will go, oh, let's worship Mother Nature. or We're going to worship the spirit of the mountain. But that's true. And yet God seems to allow that. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, evang- the, the danger evangelistically is that we want to carve into Pikes Peak, John 3.16. We want to carve in some gospel message just to make sure that people know this mountain is, is glorifying God. It's not glorifying, you know, the spirit of the mountain. And we undo it then. As soon as you do that, the beauty of Pikes Peak is marred. It is no longer beautiful the way it was. It's now 
uglified by the fact that we tried to pin it down in a way that made it evangelistic. And I think art forms, if you have art forms, whether it's painting, sculptures, it's writing, plays, movies, as soon as we tip into that and become agenda-driven overtly, as I say, it becomes a commercial for Christ. And as soon as it does that, people become skeptical. Because yeah. now we're not engaging with them in a relationship with Christ and his church. Through our storytelling, we're now making a proposition and they're folding their arms like they would if you were selling them a box of Tide or a new yeah. toothpaste. And they're making a decision. Do I get this or do I don't? What are you getting out of it by even telling me? They become suspicious. And we all do, by the way. We do it. When we're watching things. So I don't know why we as Christians would think we can get away with something that we don't even like when people do that to us. So that's that to me is the difference if that if that accurately gets your question. Yeah, that's great. That's a that's a big help. Thank you, Paul. Um, so we have a few minutes left and I, I was wondering if you could speak to some of the current projects you're working on. Well, yeah, I, I've been very busy at the Augustine Institute. Uh, we created this, um, I want to, it's kind of like a Marvel universe, and I hate to call it that, but um, I basically created a, a, a Colorado town called Hope Springs. But I've tried to create it in a way that we can do almost any kind of storytelling in this town. Everything from first reader books, which we've done, we've done six now called The Adventures of Nick and Sam. And these are just, they're slice of life stories about a Catholic family, in particular, a couple of Catholic kids and their parish life. They go to a Catholic school. And it's not, like I say, it's not preachy. It's just them sort of playing out their faith as any seven or eight year old would, you know, trying to figure out, trying to figure out the confusing bits. Um, and then there's another, the older brother of those two kids, actually, nobody realizes it, but he's a time traveler. So he and a friend actually wind up, and this is an older series for like more 10 to 12, called The Virtue Chronicles. And they go back to the time of Robin Hood and Joan of Arc and Edmund Campion during the Elizabethan persecution of Catholics there. And um, right now I'm working on more Nick and Sam books and uh, probably more audio dramas because we've done audio dramas about the life of St. Francis and St. Cecilia, St. Patrick. I think we have more of those coming. So I'm sort of busy in a lot of different disciplines, uh, but it's all storytelling. So I'm, I love it. Love it. Now, for those who are listening, who might be some budding uh, storytellers in their own mm -hmm. right, what advice might you have for them? If you aspire to be a writer at all, and, and God knows we need good Catholic writers. Uh, and I mean, Writers who write from a Catholic point of view, uh, the, an authentically Catholic point of view, but again, not preaching, but in, uh, integrating it into story and exploring ideas um, of a Catholic nature. Um, we need them. Uh, if anybody listening is interested in writing, well, the first thing you do is write. Um, don't think about it in the sense, I mean, by all means, learn the craft. But the only thing to really do is just write. Yeah. fragments of stories. I mean, don't be, don't be thrown by the fact that you sat down one day, started a story and didn't finish it that day. Um, put down, keep a journal, just start writing out your scraps of ideas. Uh, and then they become full ideas. And then just start working on the craft of, of putting down what it is that you're trying to say. 
Once upon a time, this happened. The what if game is great. If you're doing fiction storytelling, it's all the possibilities. It's the what if one day this happens, this happens to a person. Um, everything from mysteries to uh, science fiction to fantasy to slice of life, it's, it's all there for us to learn and to write. So whatever the age, if you think you want, I started writing when I was able to write. And I've got files of, you know, and it's mostly embarrassing, but that's okay because all of the stuff that I wrote from the very beginning up to where I am now is all part of my learning curve. And, and we need to, you got, you kind of have to have a tough skin if you're going to be a writer and you show your stuff to anybody else. But that would be my, my biggest encouragement is just write, just start. Don't, don't, wring your hands over whether you should or whether you, and your punctuation right or stage left, stage right, or is this a dissolve shot or a cut? You know, if you're writing a screenplay, whatever it is, leave the technicalities aside. Just just learn that later. Just start writing and, and do that and see where it takes you. Okay, well, thank you for that good wisdom. I uh, hope the storytellers out there are listening and, and can take that to heart. Paul, I am so grateful for your time today. I ask that God continue to bless you, your loved ones, and uh, your good work uh, that you're Thank doing. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. God bless you. Yes, likewise. Thank you. The best time to plan a book is while you're doing the dishes. That's a quote from Agatha Christie, and her name came to mind as I was speaking with Paul because he mentioned how so many of us enjoy reading mysteries, and Agatha Christie was a true master when it came to mysteries. And the best ideas do often come to us unexpectedly when we're not looking for them. And this happens in the spiritual life too, when we have an openness to the Holy Spirit, but we've set aside our own ideas about what the movement of the Spirit will look like, and when we've stopped dictating to God how He should answer our prayers. And before you know it, you're cleaning up the dishes and the power of the Spirit comes rushing in. And I can vouch for this because that actually did happen to me once, but that's for another time. But that openness can stretch us in ways that are not always comfortable or easy. As Flannery O'Connor, another great Catholic writer, once said, There is something in us as storytellers and as listeners to stories that demands the redemptive act, that demands that what falls at least be offered the chance to be restored. The reader of today looks for this motion, and rightly so, but what he has forgotten is the cost of it. His sense of evil is diluted or lacking altogether, and so he has forgotten the price of restoration. My friends, Flannery O'Connor is right that we cannot lose sight of that redemptive act, the hope of new life that comes by way of the cross which means that even the smallest sacrifice in the shortest story can give us a glimpse into the depths of God's great and merciful love. My guest offered some advice to aspiring writers. He said that if you want to be a writer, just write. Don't think about writing, just do it. And this applies beautifully to faith and to prayer. For instance, if you want to deepen your prayer life, don't just think or talk about doing it. I mean, I could read every book out there on prayer and never even get around to falling to my knees in prayer. So in the same way that an aspiring writer needs to actually pick up a pen and put it to paper at some point, an aspiring saint needs to set aside all the theories and the arguments and the discourse and simply begin with, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And from there, the doors start to open. 
Thanks for tuning in. Please join me next week for more stories on what God is doing through His people today. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, produced through the studios of the Archdiocese of Portland. Join us in our mission to share the good news of Jesus Christ across Western Oregon by visiting archdpdx.org.